for yourself personally, you're trying to evaluate readiness. Ask yourself, are you ready to swim through that? Because there is some truth to the reality that in this day and age in dating, you may get unmatched. You may not hear back from someone on the second date. You may go through all of the, the slings and arrows of it. And I ask myself this all the time. I'm like, are you in a place to not take it personally? It's like warfare. Just a quick note before we start this episode, I wanted to share a cool success story from one of our clients who does have a trauma background. And this is in part, I'm sharing this in part because I think it can be a little intimidating sometimes talking about trauma and realizing just how, you know, messed up we can get, how, how much our nervous systems can get pretzled up and, and, and everything. And so I just wanted to say that, um, this, this client of ours, he sent me this email with a bunch of really great text messages that he received from his woman that he's dating now. Um, when he came to us, he was in a really challenging marriage, a very difficult relationship. And, um, yeah, it was a, it was a, a hard, a hard situation, which he is now out and through on the other side. After doing a bunch of growth work, he attracted a new partner. And here are some of the text messages that she has sent him lately. Number one, you make me feel very comfortable in my sexuality and I really appreciate it. Number two, I find the hardcore dadding extremely attractive. So she really likes the way that he parents, the way that he's a father. Number three, I'm loving this ESP thing we've had going on. I enjoy having you in my head. Number four, I feel like last night was a tease. I crave more time with you. Number five, thank you again for a very thoughtful and enjoyable evening. I really enjoy being in your presence. And number six, my personal favorite, looking forward to entertaining all of your fantasies. So I guess this is just a note to say, whoever you are, wherever you are, no matter how bleak or stuck or difficult it seems, there are other human beings who have been through that kind of situation and you're not alone. And growth and transformation is more than possible. It is actually your birthright and you get to choose to do so at any time. So just a little bit of, um, of sparkle before... Um, this episode. And if you ever want to comment on anything, you can always get me at dearmenpodcast at gmail.com. And the last thing I would say is that um, we have our patron, we're going to have our Patreon call next week. So if you are interested in joining as a patron of the podcast, if you join at a $10 a month or more level, you get access to our Q&As, our live Q&As every month, and that's happening next week. So you can still get in on that if that's interesting to you. Just Google Dear Men Podcast Patreon and join as a patron. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode. I am thrilled to have Michael Unbroken with me today. He is an author, a speaker, and a coach, and I would say a leader in the space. So thank you for being here. I'm happy to have you here. Yeah, for sure. It's an honor. I'm super excited to be here with you and have this conversation. Yes. 
Um, this is an important conversation. I wish we had lots more of <laughs> in the world. Um, so yeah, we're talking about how to date and how to have connected sex after trauma. And I just want to be clear that this might be childhood trauma, or it might be a trauma that you sustained in adulthood. It's sort of the whole thing of how do I, how do I do this? Right. I've kind of identified that there's, I have a trauma background of some kind. How do I move forward? What, what does this actually look like? Um, so yeah, but before we kind of get there, I'd love to hear if you could just share a little of your personal story and how you kind of came to the work that you do. I know that's a big question, but yeah, yeah. Um, well, the the short of it is, you know, I come from a very abusive background. Um, when I was four years old, my mother, who was a drug addict and alcoholic, actually cut off my right index finger. My stepfather was incredibly abusive. You're talking about a dude who was like fucking six foot four, two twenty, would beat up me, you know, me and my little brothers. Imagine a guy that size beating up seven year olds. Um, and I spent the majority of my childhood homeless and deeply in poverty. And in fact, we lived with over 30 different families between the time I was eight to 12. And when I was 12, my grandmother adopted me, which in a lot of ways was a, a godsend and salvation. Uh, but I'm biracial, black and white, and she's a super racist ass old white lady from a town in Tennessee you never heard of. So insert identity crisis, right? Um, I started doing drugs when I was 12, uh, started drinking at 13, by 15 was kicked out of school. Um, and I just spent my childhood in the streets trying to figure out how to navigate the world, doing whatever it took to survive. And that worked until it didn't. And I realized around 18 that there was a different solution for poverty, for homelessness, for abuse. I thought it was money. So I chased money. And because I was very driven towards a goal, um, I sacrificed everything else in my life for that goal. Landed a job with a Fortune 10 company, which is like almost impossible, especially having no high school diploma and no college education. And uh, by the time that I was 26, I made almost a million bucks. But I was 350 pounds, smoking two packs a day, drinking myself to sleep. Uh, my girlfriend found out I was cheating on her with multiple different people. My little brother says, you're not my brother. Never talk to me again. My car got repoed and I was just in the rock bottom. Like it, it could not have been worse. And in that kind of that window in that moment, I, I looked at my life and I thought to myself, well, you're going to be dead in a year. So you probably should do something different. And I remember I went one morning, I'm laying in bed. It's 11 o'clock. I'm sitting here smoking a joint eating chocolate cake, please keep in mind I'm 350 pounds, and watching the CrossFit games. And I'm like, okay, there, there, there's a disconnect here. I don't know what the fuck's going on, but something here doesn't make sense. And, and for whatever reason, I picked myself up. I went in the bathroom. I was looking at myself in the mirror, and I remembered being eight years old, and the water company had come and turned our water off. Now, I grew up in America, in Indianapolis, in the fucking United States, the greatest country on planet Earth, and we were so impoverished, we literally had no water. But they were always turning off the water, the heat, the electricity. We were getting evicted all the time, so this was just normal, right? But this particular day, I went in the backyard, I grabbed this little blue bucket, walked across the street to our neighbor's house, and for the first time, I stole water. And I was like, all right, when I'm a grown-up, this won't be my life. I was very cognizant of that at eight years old in this moment. 
And as I stood there, 25 heading into 26 years old, looking in the mirror, I realized one empirical truth about my life. I was not keeping the promise I made to myself. And so in that, I asked myself a question. What are you willing to do to have the life that you want to have? And the answer that came to me, and I don't know where it came from, God, spirit, universe, mother nature, Batman, like I have no idea. (laughs) It was no excuses, just results. And for the last 13 years, that has driven me. Well, that was riveting. I was on the edge of my seat the whole time. Um, I'm curious if you can say, yeah, a little bit more about that part of um, no excuses, only results. Like, what did that mean to you, especially um, relationally, like in relation to other people? What, how did that translate? What did that mean? End up meaning. You know, here's what kind of dawned on me. My life was a disaster in the same way and reasons that many people's lives are a disaster and underwhelming. Your life should be overwhelming with joy and happiness. I mean, there's pain and suffering because we're humans and life sucks sometimes. But like as a whole, it shouldn't be this darkness, right? And, And I sat in it and I looked at it and it was like, oh, my life sucks because I'm a liar, right? And many people's lives suck because they are liars and they are lying to themselves first and foremost. And as I continue to do that, I watch my life be disastrous. Now, in the context of this conversation, I'll share something that I rarely if ever share. And that is that in my entire life, I've only ever had one nickname. Like, you know how kids always get nicknames like sports or tiger, whatever that shit is. I didn't get those as a kid, right? What I did get through the group of friends that I had in my late teens and early 20s was the moniker known as the MySpace whore. And so I'll give you a little bit more context. In those uh, aughts, the 20 aughts, there was MySpace. Many of us remember this. And I used it in the way that I think a lot of people use online dating today, but then. And so it was just random hookups, strangers. I mean, like, you name it, I did it, right? And and I was just lying to myself constantly. I was like, oh, this, there's something about this that makes me feel good. Even though you're like, oh, yeah, I had an orgasm and now I hate myself. And so it's like that rinse, that repeat. And you, as you get deeper into the work, you realize there's codependency traits. There's these other elements from childhood trauma and CPTSD that lead down this path in which you'll do anything at any time for anyone to feel love for just a moment. So you feel validation in a world in which if you actually want to feel validation, you can only do so through creating things in your life that build confidence. I didn't know that at the time. So I was like, okay, if I have sex with all these women, I'm going to fucking love myself. Doesn't work. So I'm sitting here, I'm I'm at this rock bottom moment, coming to the realization, like, you're a liar. And in that, I started to think about what it would be like to not be that. And, And I don't want to paint a picture of ease in this process. In fact, I want to do the opposite. And I want you to understand how incredibly difficult this was like ungodly difficult to create transformation, especially with my background and what I came from. And so I'm looking at my life here and I say, all right, just start where you are with the thing that you know you need to do. Like this is the thing that people don't admit to themselves. You already, Melanie, you already know what to do. Why aren't you doing it? 
right? You go to bed, it's in your head. All right, cool. Don't eat chocolate cake for breakfast. Don't smoke two packs of cigarettes. Pay your bills on time. Call call your brothers and tell them that you love them. Stop banging other chicks when you have a girl that loves you, right? You're like, okay, cool. Keep lying to yourself and pretending that the things that you're doing are okay and watch your life continue to be the same. And so I made that declaration. I was like, I'm going to attempt, right? Because so much of it is about decision-making. I'm just going to attempt to move into the person I believe I'm capable of being. And so from 26, like, like really, I truly mean 26 to 30 were the hardest four years of my life. It was like one step forward, a million steps backwards. And I was like, it was just like, banging my face into a wall constantly. But I was like, I'm not going to stop. Like, I know that there's still times where I screw up, where I'm still learning, where it's an iterative process. As humans, we our developmental is entirely built up on failure, something that people do not truly understand. Because if you're successful all the time, then you'll continue to repeat same exalt, same things, right? And so now I'm in this position and I'm looking at my life and I'm asking myself, like, who do I want to be? And I knew that in order to become even one-tenth of the man that I am today, I was going to have to erase 100% of the man that I used to be. And I figured the only way you could do that is by telling the fucking truth. And so that's what I started to do. And that's how it started to change. And it was very, 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 very hard because people were like, you're an asshole and you're a liar. And my own brothers were like, dude, you're just doing this for attention, right? And it was like all these things, it was like swimming through glass to get to the other side, to get punched in the face, to do it again. But I made a decision, no matter what, my life would be different. So I just kept doing it and doing it and doing it and doing it. And so the, the crux to all of this, everything that my life is today really just came through honesty. And when you say honesty, like, did you sort of talk to your girlfriend about what was going on? And can you talk about the role of, um, did you get any mentorship? Did you have any guidance? Did you, did you get any help at this time? Like what were kind of some of the steps that, that you took to, to grow? Cause it sounds like a hugely growth oriented transformational four years. Yeah. The, the girl I was with at the time, she knew. And so did the other one and they knew about each other, but like, we like to pretend in our own little fucked up worlds that everything's okay. Right. And, and look, and there's a conversation about human dynamics and men being one way and women being the other way and blah, blah, blah. Like that's regardless of this conversation. Cause I think those things can exist in honesty and truth. What I'm pointing at is the fact that none of that existed in my life in any capacity. Right. And so it was, it, it would have been fruitless had I not started doing like deep intensive work. And so the the biggest part of it was that honesty element started really truthfully with myself, but then it went over into like therapy. And I was like, I'd been going and paying this guy hundreds of dollars a week to tell him lies. Two reasons. This is the thing people don't understand. One, I was terrified of telling the truth because the learned behavioral mechanisms in regard to truth in my life meant pain. If I told the truth as a child, I for sure was going to get my face slammed into a wall, right? Secondly, 
Because it's a learned behavior, the hardest thing that we do is we change behavioral patterns. Why? Because they are survival mechanisms. So if your brain tells you, don't tell the truth or you're going to suffer, and the only service of the brain effectively is to help you survive, if suffering leads to death, then your brain will go, don't tell the truth because you will suffer and you will die. And so I had to recognize, understand that, and then do the difficult thing that was to do the opposite and show up, tell the truth anyway, even though that level of suffering in my brain thought would be death, but in reality created life. So as I'm in this and you were asking me, like, what did I do? It was coaching. It was mentorship. It was therapy. It was personal development. It was go to all the conferences, read all the books, be as studious as human possible. But most importantly, it was take action that is different than the action that I was taking. And people will sit and listen to shit like this all day long till the cows come home and never do anything. It is so fruitless to sit here and consume this content and to do nothing with it. And in fact, I would argue if that is your plan and you are that person that you should check yourself because you are not only wasting your time, effort, and energy, but you're missing opportunity because the very one thing that you can hear in this or any podcast or any book or any conference or any anything is about can you execute against what's in front of you because ultimately that's where change comes. One of the greatest things my therapist ever told me ever in my whole life, it might be the greatest thing anyone's ever told me ever for that matter. Change only happens when you make change happen. There is a dynamic in which action must be – it must be paramount to everything else. You are better off going in the wrong direction than going in no direction at all, and being indecisive will destroy your life. And so I found myself – constantly just consuming information, knowledge, data. And as obviously I've progressed and do what I do today, I've had the fortune and benefit of interviewing for Think Unbroken podcast, some of the greatest minds in trauma healing on planet earth from Dr. Caroline Leaf and Gabor Mate to Mariel Bouquet and Jed Brewer and everyone in between. And so I'm a student of the game because what I recognize, Melanie, is there's a truth that you have to sit in as you decide to play this game, that this journey is never over. And so 13 years in, I'm still practicing what I'm preaching, knowing that it is only action that continues to propel me forward. Well, that was powerful for many reasons. One of the quotes that I pulled out was, you're better off going in the wrong direction than no direction at all. And I have a sail strong sailing background. And it reminds me of when you're in irons, being in irons means that your sail is luffing and you're not going anywhere and you're actually drifting backwards. The wind is pushing you backwards. Whereas if you fill your sail and you go in any direction, it doesn't matter what direction it is, then you have momentum. And once you have momentum on the boat, now you can change directions. You can adjust. You have a lot more choices. But when you're luffing, when you're in irons, nothing's happening and you're actually being pushed backwards. And there's no way to adjust really. So you have to get that, that going. And I think that speaks to one of the most um, prevalent effects of trauma that I see in my clients is freeze. A lot of our clients are in a state of freeze around their life or an aspect yes. of their life when they come to us and they hold a lot of shame about that. So for example, I've, you know, I've never had sex with a woman. I feel like I should have, you know, I'm in my 20s, 30s, 40s, you name it. 
why is this such a hard area for me? This has never worked for me. And the, the shame just kind of keeps compounding or I've never been in a healthy relationship. I look at my past. I see all of these relationships and I feel a lot of shame around it. I feel like I only ever went for the women who went for me, right? I never pursued really. I just, I was sort of there. A woman picked me. I ended up marrying her. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that story. And so I'm wondering if you can speak a little bit to that connection between trauma and the freeze state, the state of freeze, because it feels so prevalent and it feels like there's so much shame attached to it and all of that kind of like, why can't I get it together around this part? Yeah. So let me give a little bit of a a depth of context here, which I think would be beneficial for people. Um, As humans, we are very analytical and we need to understand causation and correlation. So I'm going to give a little context and I will answer your question in that context. There was a research study done in the mid-90s called the ACE survey, which is the Adverse Childhood Experiences Survey. Um, And effectively, it was these 10 questions that Dr. Folletti and Kaiser Permanente and the California Center for Disease Control put together to evaluate whether or not there was – the hypothesis was effectively, all right, if you're abused as a child in any of these areas, would then your life lead to X, right? And that would be anything from obesity and debt to long-term detrimental health ramifications. Unequivocally, the answer was yes. And here's what I'll say. One, I think the study is inconclusive, and I really think it needs to be at a greater depth and scope than it was. Um, And secondarily, I think that when you look at this data, you have to take it with a grain of salt simply because if you grew up where I came from, you cannot fucking talk about this shit, right? And that's true for a lot of people. And so when you look at the research in the study – what they effectively found was depending on where you fell on the spectrum of these 10 questions would really kind of be a marker for what your life would potentially look at, look like, excuse me. And so they were questions like, have you ever been molested? Have you ever been physically hit? Did you see any parents hit each other? Did anyone in your family commit suicide? Was anyone in your family um, incarcerated? Um, did you not feel safe and protected? When you were ill or sick, did you not get taken to the doctor? And so it's these 10 questions. I didn't go all 10, but just search a survey, go and find the 10 questions. And generally speaking, most people have one. Now, why do they have an answer of one? Because in this society we live in, one of the questions is, did a parent or did your parents get divorced, right? We have a 60%, almost now 60% divorce rate in this country. So chances are you can use that and leverage that point as trauma, right? Cool. We understand that. Now here's, what's really interesting. As you go down this, if you answer yes to two, chances are there's an 83% increased rate that you would answer yes to a multitude of those questions. I answered yes to every single one. And so I have an A score of 10. And the reason that I'm bringing this up is that understanding data can help you look at life through the scope of creating an understanding in which you can evaluate the experiences of your past that lead down this path where you can go, oh, okay, actually, I understand why I did this because this information supports that this is normative. Now, okay, cool. If it's normative that you would go through this level of abuse and end up in this place where depending on where you fall in this spectrum, you could be up to 5,200% more likely to commit suicide, 
2,200% more likely to smoke cigarettes, 2,000% more likely to use alcohol products. And then depending, again, the health ramifications are things like early onset diabetes, asthma, pulmonary embolisms, and the list goes on and on and on. So effectively, here's the thing that happens. Depending on the level of trauma that you have in childhood, you are set up for failure. Why? Because when you are experiencing that level of trauma, you are now in the sympathetic nervous system right? The fight, flight, freeze, fawn, right? We hear these words all the time, but nobody explains how you get into it. You get into it because you had people who in your family, community, peer systems, and schools did not take care of you the way that a human being needs to be taken care of. So now you get in this place where you have to fend for yourself. For some people, they're and look, I think you do need to fend for yourself. Resiliency is really, really important in the world, but not at that level. Whereas like, at eight years old, I'm going to the big lots on the corner of 30th and Georgetown in Indianapolis, and I'm stealing food. That is not okay, right? So let's be very, very clear about this. So now you're in the sympathetic nervous system, fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. It's almost seemingly impossible to get into the parasympathetic nervous system, rest, digest, recover, associate, make memory, make meaning, process. And so as a child, I never was in the parasympathetic. And, and I always try to remind people, if you think about parachute, safety, survival, that is where you should be, right? In this place where you can evaluate and make meaning of the world, hopefully at all times, though we know that's not true. You need your journal systems. You need those things to function and make it through, through the world. But then you get trapped. This is the thing that happens that leads me to the answer to your question. When you get trapped, it becomes normative that that is your response to stressors. Fear Fear is the very thing that both keeps us safe and keeps us stuck. That is a really, really hard thing to reconcile when you understand one unequivocal truth about fear. The way that you move through fear is you face it. And the only way that you can face it is I think first and foremost, you have to take measurement of your environment. And, I, and people really fail to do this. And what I mean by this is take a look at the environment that you're in and ask yourself a very simple question. Am I safe? Melanie, chances are you're safe. Like really, if you really get to the crux of it, chances are you're safe. Statistically, we live in the safest time in history to be alive ever, ever. I realize that there are really un believably painful and just devious things that happen in the world. But in comparison to 2,500 years ago, 50,000, 100,000 years ago, hell, 50 years ago, where you could literally lynch a black man for walking down the street with a white woman, we live in the safest time ever. So what about the fear that is in your head? Okay. Well, how do you navigate that? People are terrified of things that they have not built confidence in, okay? Why? Well, from a social hierarchy standpoint, you go and you look at survival mechanisms of, of societal communities. If you potentially make a mistake in a community in which is very small and you get ostracized and it's 5,000 years ago, you're probably going to go out into the woods and die. We have all heard this. Great. 
cool. We know that. So what happens if you're eight and you're in Miss Smith's class and you're coloring and you decide to make the moon purple? She comes up to you and she goes, Melanie, the moon's not purple, silly. And all the kids laugh at you. Well, guess what? The biological response to that stressor, which is fear, creates a sympathetic response, fight, flight, freeze, fawn. Miss Smith's intention was not bad, but when you think about the impact of that one small moment, for some kids, that that's nothing. Like that, That's not going to bother them in any capacity ever. They're going to be good. But for you, it crippled you. And now, anytime you have the opportunity to step into the truth of who you are, you're terrified because your brain now has evidence that when you are you, i.e., I'm going to color the moon purple, leads to the fear of, I remember what happened last time I colored the moon purple, and I'm terrified to move forward, so I'm going to stay where I am. So this begs the question how do we, how do we recover from trauma and the topic, um, how to date and have, you know, connected sex after trauma. One of the things that caught my attention in your work was you kind of got to deal with your trauma, (laughs) like in order to have a healthy thriving dating life and connected sex, much like what you said about facing fear. I feel like you're very clear on yeah, this, this is like, you got to do this part. This is a really important part to do. And it's doable. It's possible. It's our, we have neuroplasticity, you know, transformation, healing growth is possible. You are a shining example of that. What you have been through the level and degree of trauma, like you said, you're a 10, you're at a 10. And I think a lot of folks listening are going to be at like a two or a three or a four or a five. There's definitely a lot of, of, trauma survivors out there, as well as folks interacting with them. So how do we, how do we do it? How do we heal? How do we get better? And I know that's a big question, but I guess, um, you are a trauma expert. I mean, that's what your whole podcast is on and it takes a lot of different things ultimately, but can you speak a little bit to what have you seen be effective for others as well as yourself in the, in the healing journey part? Yeah. Well, you know, first, I I have the benefit of coaching thousands of people over the last eight years, right? I've I've had the benefit of writing a couple of best-selling books and having an award-winning podcast. And and so everything that I speak is always filtered through my own experience, first and foremost. And so two things always come to mind in this. One is our experiences are not the same, so please remove comparison. Because if you're like, he had 10 and I had one, like it doesn't fucking matter. That's not the point. And secondarily, and this is just hard truth, three to 7% of people listening to this, even though I'm about to lay out the exact framework, will never do anything about it. And they will leverage the fact that their life was so bad as the exact reason through childhood that now as an adult, they will never be able to have what it is that they're capable of having. And I sit in that truth knowing after coaching thousands of people that it's true, period. And the reason that I say this is because I hope and pray that those 7% of people are not listening to this because it's very simple. Changing your life is very simple. It really is. It's, it's, it's encumbering and it is long and it is cumbersome, but it is possible. And here's how you do it. 
do what the fuck is in your head when you put your pillow on the in your head on the pillow at night. Do that thing. Do that thing. Do that thing through support, through community, through people who are not enablers. Stop asking your friends for help because they don't know what they're doing. Go to professionals. Get clarity about what you want because if you do not have clarity, the world will take you wherever it chooses to go and then you will sit there baffled like, how did I get here? I'll tell you how because you didn't have clarity about where you were going to begin with. And then the thing that you have to do is understand the truth about it like at the at the most simplified way that I can phrase it is be prepared to continue to have to do the same thing over and over and over again for the rest of your life. Now, what does it look like to have clarity? Well, clarity is this. It's not just I want to be in a healthy relationship. That is so fucking vague. Like that is so incredibly vague. Healthy compared to what? Right? Compared to the relationship where you used to get hit every day? Well, any relationship in which you don't get hit today is healthy comparatively, right? That's not enough information. Like you have to be so abundantly clear on what it is that you need effectively a laundry list, right? Not to the point of perfection, but to the point of understanding. Because you – think about this. When you buy a car, a house, a fucking cheeseburger, you know exactly what you're getting for the value exchange. And yet you go get into a relationship And you're terrified to ask for what you need for. Okay, cool. Now we're back at fear. Why? Causation correlation. I'm always going to bring it back to this. Because when you were a kid, you were terrified to speak your truth. Because every time that you did, you got hurt. Right? That was me. So I found myself in my my teens and my 20s in relationships I didn't want to be in, with people I didn't want to be with, self-sabotaging, hoping that the other person would find out and leave me so I didn't have to go through the pain of having to deal with the conflict. And then because they're so fucked up too, now they're not leaving because they're like, well, at least he doesn't fucking hit me. And I'm like, that's insane. Okay, so here's the reality in that, Right? You have to understand that you are always going to get what you deserve. That's a real fucking hard thing to understand. What does that mean? Like attracts like. We are energetic beings having a human experience. I believe that entirely. Your energy attracts similar energy. You're driving down the road on the highway and there's some person four cars over and you look to the right and you if they look back at you. Like, that's insane. Like, I don't even understand how that happens, right? And so if that can happen in a car, imagine what happens in a relationship. Holy crap. I haven't done any work. I don't know how to communicate. I'm scared to express my wants, needs, interests, boundaries, values. I get walked all over. I'm a codependent yes person. I bend over backwards for other people and put myself through the ringer every single day on the odd hope and possibility that somebody will like me for 37 seconds long enough for me to come. And then I wake up in the morning. I go, this is a disaster. How many times are you going to do that? Well, that's what you do every single day when you don't have clarity about what you want. Now, when you have that clarity, it becomes this process of iteration. Can you continue to move towards this idea of who it is that you believe that you're capable of in relation to another human while simultaneously recognizing that you're fallible and you're going to screw up 
and that those screw-ups are actually really powerful because they're metrics and data. And you can measure those and evaluate them and on a long enough timeline get to the place where you can sit in that truth and you go, I understand myself like this. When you do this to me, what happens is it makes me shut down. But I don't want to shut down. So how do we create and mitigate the risk of that through having open, honest communication? But all of that, Melanie, starts at the beginning of saying, can I speak my truth? And most people get into relationships with other people because they bat their eyelashes at them and they had sex that was great one time. Okay, cool. Good luck with that, right? If, If you're willing to sit and have hard conversations early, I mean, date one, date two, date – I'm not talking about trauma bonding conversations over a comparison of the worst thing that ever happened to you. I mean, save that for a while. But in the in the front side, go, what are your expectations? What are you looking for? If you're with someone who – and you're like, I want to have kids, but you don't tell them till a year in and they don't actually want kids at all, you have set yourself up for massive failure. Why? Because you're scared to tell the truth. Why? Because you're scared you're going to be punished. Evaluate the environment. Am I actually going to be safe? Probably. Okay, cool. Now you keep working into that on a daily basis, constantly. And and I would tell you, going back to this thing about healing, to be able to be in an effective, healthy, communicative, loving, compassionate relationship, one, know that that's not always going to be the case. Because one day you'll be like, I want to strangle this person. They want to strangle me because that is human nature, right? But but you can get closer into that. And this is what I did. I'm not saying this is what everyone should do, but this is what I did. I stayed single for four years. I stayed by myself. By my and it was hard and it sucked and it was uncomfortable because to go, it was a 180. To go from I'm hooking up with people all the time to create validation to I'm sitting with a journal and meditating and doing yoga in my bedroom by candlelight six nights a week because I feel like I'm having a mental breakdown. And if I don't stay in the pain of this suffering, which means if you look up the definition of suffering, it means discomfort. And if I don't stay in the pain of this discomfort, I will never be able to live in the peace of possibility. And that's the thing I want people to understand is like you have to get deep into doing the work. And and sometimes truth be told, you have to step out of relationships, leave the marriage, leave the boyfriend or girlfriend, leave the partnership, quit the job, leave the city you grew up, change your whole life. People ask me, I was 29 years old, I made the decision to leave Indiana, leave Indianapolis, leave where I left, leave all my friends, everything I had known. And like fucking 20 people were like, what are you running from? And I was like, you don't get it. I'm not running from anything. I'm running to me. And so run to you and put you first and recognize, especially if you're codependent, my God, which you probably are, especially if you went through childhood trauma and you have an anxious attachment disorder and and all of these other things, it's like, cool. Acknowledge it. Don't run from it. Be truthful with yourself because then you can sit down and first date with Melanie and go, yeah, I'm, I, I, I historically have had an anxious attachment style, right? Great. And they might go, cool, what does that mean? And you go, well, I understand myself. The key to life is know thyself. And if you can get to that place, everything's possible. I like that because there's 
there's something powerful about it's almost like laying down our burden and acknowledging this is who I am. This is where I am. And here are some action takes steps I'm taking and I'm iterating, you know, to your point, I think the iteration, that word is really important around. I'm trying things out. I'm trying some things out back on the sailboat. I'm trying out this tack. And if it doesn't work, I'm going to adjust to that tack. And I think there's something I've seen that's really beautiful about engaging in that process in community, engaging in that process with other people, witnessing other people going through that same process of, yep, tried this out, fucked it up. You know, we had a client this week was like, went out on a date, didn't hear back. And it's like, you know what? The win is that you went on the date. The win is not the result. The win is you, to your point, the win is you taking action. That's the win. The setting of the boundary is the win. Whether the person respects it or not is a separate question. That's an that's an evaluative question. But you did it. You did the hard thing. You know, we had another man who tried salsa for the first time ever. It's like that. That was the win. It's not whether you're good at salsa. It doesn't matter yeah, exactly. if you're good at it. It's are you taking different steps? Are you taking healthy risks in your life? And I, I really appreciated what you said too about hire professionals right? F- seek out the right mentorship and folks that have been through what you've been through to kind of ease the process and make it a little bit, a little bit smoother. Someone who has suffered and has sat where you are, because when you, you know, I think that's part of why 12 step groups can be so incredibly powerful and other support groups, because it's like, if your parent dies and you join a group with a bunch of people who are ahead of you, you feel less alone right away. They get you in a way that other people can't. They just can't. If you've never had the loss of a parent, you can't understand it in the same visceral way that someone who has been through it can understand it. And that's such a powerful part, I think, of the the trauma healing journey is getting it in your body, feeling it in your body that you're not alone, that you're not the only one who's gone through this because it's so easy for us to, to, to do that, to think we're alone, deeply alone. No one else has been through this exact thing and I'm I'm a piece of shit or all of the thoughts that go along with I'm alone, which are usually not very good. Um, there's just something about that as part of the process and all of the healing work. To your point, you put it so beautifully about the willingness to sit in the discomfort is the gateway to the piece of possibility. That's how you get there. But it's so um it's so hard that and it's so intense. It can be so incredibly intense that that's why people turn to self-medicating, right? It's why we go to drugs or alcohol or porn or, you know, whatever it is to numb that intensity because it can be so intense. And I'm wondering, you know, as we're, as we're talking about this and with all of the folks that you've mentored in terms of, of dating, right? Connecting and getting into relationship. How do you know when you're ready? How would you, how would one know, okay, I've done enough work now. I've healed enough or I'm, you know, I'm to the point where it's going to be healthy for me to connect with another person. How how would you know? I'll speak from my standpoint because I I don't want to make recommendations for people based on too many variables. Here's how I know, right? And someone who has started dating again recently, um, after being in a relationship for a little bit, I sat and I was like, actually, you know what? This isn't, this isn't right. There are things here that are not what it is that we agreed upon. So we, we have to part ways. And I took a few months away and I looked at my clarity and I looked at my kind of 
goals in dating and I ask myself, do I need a break right now or do I need to actually jump right back in? Right. And I was like, actually, I need a little bit of a break. I just want to get them some things settled. And, and I think it comes down to this. Like really, truthfully, and it, it's actually really simple. I think people overcomplicate this. Um, can you look in the mirror and be okay with the reflection? Because if you're not there yet, you're not ready. And here's why you're not ready. Because you're going to look for somebody to fill the gaps. And they're not going to. And then when they're not, you're going to be displeased and upset and then right back in the same cycle that you've always been in. When, when I look at my life and my dating, I go, who is the human that is an accompaniment to me? Uh, who, who I can sit with in the truth and acknowledgement of what it is that I want, I need, I'm interested in, my expectations, my boundaries, my vision, my values. Do we share independent goals? Do we have mutual goals? Do we have exclusive goals? Like, can we, are, are we on the same page about everything? Marriage, kids, sex, dynamics, male female dynamics, relational, communal, like politics, like not necessarily to the point of like you're dating your twin. I think that can be dangerous in its own right, but not to the point that you're entirely fire and ice either, right? And so if you can sit in truth effectively, Right. Cause a lot of people will be like, I've done a lot of work. Okay. I, I believe this fully. Like now having been single and celibate more than in a relationship over the last 13 years, um, what I can tell you with certainty is that if you are still looking for someone to fill up that space in you, you're not ready. You're just not. And you have to be okay with that. And if that means you just have to be in the solitude, be in, continue to be there. We live in a weird time for dating also, which I think that anyone who's paying attention can notice. I mean, you have access to at any given time millions of potential mates, right? You millions of people who are at a drop of a dime are going to message you. But also at the drop of a dime will go unmatch, right? Because that's how we are dating now. And I think that if for yourself personally, you're trying to evaluate readiness, ask yourself, are you ready to swim through that? Because there is some truth to the reality that in this day and age in dating, you may get unmatched. You may not hear back from someone on the second date. You may go through all the, the slings and arrows of it. And I ask myself this all the time. I'm like, are you in a place to not take it personally? It's like warfare. Like it really is. Like it, I mean this seriously. And as, and as men, I'll, I'll speak from a man's perspective because I am not a woman. So I have no idea what the fuck's happening over there, right? And so what I always think to myself is, all right, Am I here? I'll give you context. I read Elena Cardone's book, Building an, I believe it's called Building an Empire. She's Grant Cardone's wife. There was something really interesting in the book that I had never contemplated until I read this book. And this was probably three years ago, four years ago, something like that. She said, write down everything that you want in your partner with as much clarity, height, weight, eyes, sexual drive, interest, hobbies, career, blah, blah, blah. Just get clear on that. And then get clear on like the nuances of them too. Like how do they react to this? What do they do here? Blah, blah, blah. Right. And so I sat down for 
hours and hours and hours and I did this, right? And then she said, now write down what that person is looking for and ask yourself if that is who you are. Because if we're energetic and like attracts like, are people? one of the things I hate is when people say shit like, <laughs> I'm, I'm dating above me. Nobody is above you. That is so asinine. That is, to me, that is the craziest thing. Because if you really think about it, right, as human beings, we put other people before us constantly. And I'm like, if you are the person that you're meant to be, the person that is meant to be with you will value you exactly as who you are because you had the willingness to put you first. Because the only way effectively you heal and get to a place of preparedness to go into this war is effectively you got to go through training. And the way you go through training is by putting yourself first and doing the hard work, right? And, but people are looking for that marker, right? I know why you asked the question and I'm making so much context to actually simplify everything that I just said into this. I don't know. Only you do. And stop asking people's opinions about how you should live your life. Yeah. I've, one thing I've, I've noticed over the years of working with men is that one, one thing I've noticed is um, there's often stuck grief or rage or both in, in a man's body and our, our physical bodies, our human bodies are actually designed pretty well to, to feel and grieve and move and heal. So there's an inherent wisdom in the body mind crying, for example, um, yes. grief, grief work. I do a lot of grief work through the throat. So uh, I don't know if that'll come through zoom, but growling, I heard it. There's a lot of somatic, um, ways of expressing yes. that move energy. And I can't tell you how many times I've witnessed a client have an emotional release, right? Go through, go through this in community with support. And then, you know, not even that long after that, meet a new kind of dating partner that they've never dated before. So there's, there's, like you said, the iteration, one thing that I find very hopeful is that we, our bodies are actually designed to heal. We are, we are designed to do that. If we're numbing all the time, we don't actually get to those those places. We don't move through things. And we've lost a lot in our Western culture around doing this in community, right? We used to have dancing and singing and expression and grief circles and ways of helping our body mind move through this kind of energy. We've lost a lot of that. We have to rebuild a lot of that, but it's, it's fascinating because to your point, you know, am I ready? How do I know I'm ready? What I've seen is that a lot of men do this work, right? They, they join our program, they start doing the work, they're in community, they're, they're expressing. And then there's kind of an effortless thing that happens where the next person they attract is healthier than the last person they were with, right? To your point, like attracts like, and then they get to evaluate from there. It's almost like stepping stones, like you're stepping up into this possibility, future peace, all of this stuff. And that, that, that idea of, healthy emotional expression, healthy risk-taking, getting the right people around you is a big part of it. And it's, and it's inspiring because it doesn't actually end up feeling like effort. Like I see a lot of men that are like, wow, this was so much easier than I was expecting. And it didn't take as long as I was expecting it to, because 
we're kind of designed to do it. We're kind of designed to, to get there. Um, I'm just mindful of the time. There are a few other questions I want to make that we get to. So another one that I had was, um, I would say like, I have worked with survivors of sexual abuse, childhood sexual abuse and adult sexual trauma throughout my life. And one of the questions I've gotten from a lot of men, not so much from women is, should I tell a new dating partner? And if so, when, how does that work? Um, because it does still kind of affect me in certain ways sexually. And of course this can be in a whole range of, of ways, but do you have any recommendations? And I'm sure that you work with a lot of those folks. Do they have that question? What, what is your sense? Yeah, about I that? actually get that question all the time. And, you know, if you go back to that a score that I shared, I was a 10 because I was molested as a child multiple times by babysitter, which is unfortunately very common for men to have that experience from a female babysitter. And, and so I, Take that, add an abusive mother who cut my finger off, add a psychotic grandmother who was psycho, like completely racist, add female teachers who called me literally dumb. My relationship with women was absolutely abysmal, right? That gets carried over into adulthood. Okay, so now if you have all these layers of hurt, one of the things I love that you said, like the somatic healing. Get to this place first with yourself where you can be sexual with yourself, where you can go explore, have the things that it is that you need to go have explore. Because when you are willing to do that, when you get to that place, uh, the thing that will happen that I think is really beautiful is you'll start to build comfort with yourself first, right? And and when you get into dating and intimate relationships, I think the right time to have it is actually before these conversations is – before you have sex. So I think about it as kind of like uh, uh, walking up a ladder, right? It starts with, okay, we're going to go out on a date. We're going to hang out. We're going to see if there's energy. Cool. I'll, just, I'll Let me lay this out in like a dating structure, right? This might help a lot. Okay. that That's always going to be date one for me. In fact, I won't even kiss people on the first date because I think there's too much pressure. It doesn't make sense necessarily, right? Uh, rarely. 1% of all dates has that ever happened to me, right? Let me context since I started this journey. Second time, you hang out, you go do something active. You get into creating space where you can evaluate each other at deeper depth. You have deeper conversation. Maybe you hold hands. Maybe this is the time that you kiss. And then on the timeline and the time horizon, as you get more comfortable and more confident with each other, you have more clear, deep, intimate conversations. Inevitably, whether that's date four or date 13, chances are you're going to have sex. Intimacy is so incredibly important. And I think people often get mismatched with sexual partners because they did not have qualifying conversations up front before sexual activity. And so if you're in this place and you know that as someone who went through these traumatic experiences that you need a little bit more patience, space, and grace to express yourself sexually with a partner and that you actually, unlike many people, can't just jump into bed, you need time, you need to say that. Here is why you need to say that. Because what can and will inevitably happen is the person on the opposite of you may start to question themselves. Is this person actually not into me? Is this person not sexually attracted to me? There's a very, very big difference between physical attraction and sexual attraction. And since we are talking about sex, like if the person is not sexually, if you, 
if you are not having a sexual connection with that person and it's past what may feel normal or right, it's really important that you have already had this conversation so that they are not questioning. It happens like in my personal life, I will share this since we are talking about this this subject. I constantly have had not constantly, that's a word right for that. In dating that has turned into a relationship for me over the last three partners that I have gone down this path with, we have gotten to the place where I'm like, if we're going to have to have if we are going to have sex together, you have to understand it's probably going to take longer than usual. Why? Well, for me, I created the clarity of like, I want something deeper, more intimate, fucking damn near tantric, right? Well, how do you get that? Well, you get that through communication. I, because I'm willing, and it's also like, Melanie, read the room, okay? This is probably not a first date conversation, right? Read the room, but, you know, date five, nothing's really transpired. All right, this may be a safe place to have the conversation. Hey, I'm really into you. I like what you have going on. Our energy is great. I like kissing you. We're great at making out. You turn me on. I'm not ready to go to that place, right? I need this certain parameter of safety. Now, the depth in which you explain the why, again, read the room, the depth is important because in this first conversation around it, it could be as simple as, I don't want to go into detail yet. There will be a time where I will be ready for that as we gain closeness, and that time could be soon. But for now, I will tell you, I had some sexual traumas as a kid that I have worked through. I'm continuing to work through, and so I just need a deeper level of connection before we go there, right? When you get to the place in which you're ready and it makes sense, maybe maybe there's more depth. There's also oversharing. I don't, I don't know that you have to share all the details, right? But you have to tell the truth. All this is about telling the truth and being open and honest and just sitting at it and saying, hey, I want to go down this path with you. That's my intention. I have clarity around that, but not yet. Or if it is time, which a lot of men have this massive anxiety over sexual encounters where they lose erections and they can't have an orgasm, so on and so forth, like ask yourself what is happening in your physiology right? Can't, do you need to actually pause and in, in real time, breathe and say to this person that you're with, Hey, I'm having a physiological reaction because the level of stress and pressure that I feel is, is getting me in my head because of past experiences. 99.999% of the time, the woman that you are with or partner for that matter, however you go, they'll go, I totally understand. It's fine. And it is. And so recognize that a lot of it's just simply in your head. Yeah. I really love what you're saying here because what I'm hearing is healthy leadership, healthy leadership in relationship. And I'm really glad that you use that word safe so many times because I think, you know, in my experience, a lot of men don't realize how much they truly need safety in order to relax sexually. Yes. You know, they need safety. They need emotional safety to relax and, and get turned on and be excited about sex with someone. And I think our culture doesn't make any space for that for men. You know, we talk a lot about safety for women and that makes a lot of sense given how many women are hurt and, you know, there is an, an imbalance, but I guess I just want to speak up for, 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 for men and what you're saying of 
you need safety too. And especially if you have a trauma background, you need safety and you have the right to that. And there's something I really like about the leadership and the way that you described that um, conversation of saying, hey, starting with, hey, I'm really into you. (laughs) I'm really into you. I'm really turned on. I really like you. And I need you to know that I need to go a little slow when it comes to sex to really feel safe and comfortable and connected. And, and that's what I'm looking for is that, how does that feel for you? Yeah. And listen to the response because to me, that's deeply masculine, right? Leading in that way is, is deeply masculine. It's creating the space, like you said, for safety, comfort, trust. And when you lead that way, it's so much more likely that she's going to share with you things that have gone on for her or things that she has that were on her heart that maybe she didn't feel safe sharing. And she might say, God, I'm really glad you said that. Cause you know, we've gone out a few times and I thought maybe you weren't into me, you know, I wasn't sure what was going on. So thanks for telling me. And, you know, to your point too, even during sex saying, Hey, I need to take a beat. Like I'm, I'm noticing I'm kind of in my head and I want to be here with you. Right. Like you said, the vast majority of people are going to say, Oh yeah, take all the time you need. I'm right here. And the beauty about boundaries and speaking up for yourself is if someone doesn't respond well, well, that's information you want to have, right? That's not a safe partner. They've just shown you <laughs> that that's not going to be a great match. So you don't, it's it's sort of win-win. Either you win because they respond poorly and you stop relating with them, or you win because you've shared your vulnerable truth and they've met you in that. And that's deeply bonding. That helps create the safety that you're seeking. And and I would also add, don't waffle about it. There yeah. there is nothing that turns anyone off more than waffling. Like like be confident in saying I'm not having sex with you right now, and it's not because of you. It's because I need this space, and because that that creates a level of security as well. If you're kind of like, oh, well, you know, um, uh, uh, like that is incredibly like it, it's such a turnoff, right? And I think that applies on on both sides. And and my hope is like for for men to understand like you're allowed to have intimacy and and I think that we don't talk about our own sexual desires enough and then suddenly like we because like look the generation of men coming up now is the we are pornified to the point that it's almost insanity right there I will tell you right now the sexual activities that you can have with another consensual human being can be porn like but it should not be that all the time if you can get to this place where you're like having real true conversations about what you need, you'll come to find that like sometimes that's intimacy is is deeper in just laying there, cuddling, enjoying each other, not like fucking each other's brains out all the time. And and I think that there is something to be said about expressing the need and desire around that as well. And and it's look, at the end of the day, we're humans and humans are going to have sex and we're going to want to pursue our interest and 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 many people use porn in a healthy way in in connection and relation to explore and talk about or maybe voice things that they don't know how to voice or that they have fear around voicing. But you know, it, it's it's become such a I think it's become such a roadblock to intimacy that you have to be really careful to recognize like Sex is not only just the physical activity. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the the part about closeness and intimacy and how we how we get there is related to what you're saying about telling the truth and revealing and leading. And I think that's that's something 
thing that's come up in our work is revealing is leading, right? When you reveal what's going on for you as a man, that's leading. You are leading the relationship. You are leading the connection because you're generating, you're generating more closeness. You're generating more intimacy and you're making it safer for the other person to share that with you as well, right? When you're, when you lead with vulnerability, you're creating more safety in the relationship. So as we're starting to wrap up here, I'm wondering how can people find your work and, um, yeah, just where, where, where can they find you? Yeah, I'm everywhere at Michael Unbroken. Uh, and of course, the Think Unbroken podcast, if you go to thinkunbrokenpodcast.com or just search Think Unbroken podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you. This was a really rich conversation. And, and I guess I'm just wondering, you know, as we close, is there any anything that you would offer in terms of um, sort of how far you've come in terms of like, hope or, you know, what's possible on the other side, because it feels like you've come a really long way. And I'm I'm imagining there are some men listening being like, oh, it sounds like it's a lot of work, but what's, what's, what's the reward? What's possible on the other side? Where are you now? Yeah, it is a lot of work. I mean, what have you ever gotten in your life that you enjoyed that wasn't a lot of work? Nothing. I mean, whenever anyone just gives you something, you don't value it. And the work is – here's what I think about a lot. If I had to do it all over again, I would do it all over again, right? I actually did the math on this one time because one of my clients asked me in, in our group coaching. They're like, how much have you really invested in yourself? I was like, I don't know. Let me go find out. And so I, I pulled all my bank records going back as far as I could because I've had the same credit card for like 15 years or something. And and I added it all up. And I'm not saying everyone has to go to this extent, but please recall I said something really important that transformed my life. I said, no excuses, just results. I meant it. I meant it. And, and I was like, all right, cool. What did it look like? And I took a spreadsheet and I just sat there for hours and hours and hours. And it ended up being about $275,000 and roughly 12,000 hours worth of investment into my journey. I don't think you have to do that. Obviously, that's why I've created Think Unbroken, so you can shortcut the effort of that because it's very intense. But but what I will say is I love my life. I love my life. I love that I get to wake up and do what I do. I love the reflection in the mirror. I love the way that I date. I love the intimacy that I have. I love the clear honesty that I get to live through. I love that I have a relationship with my brothers, especially the one who once told me never talk to him again. I I love the fact that when I go stand on stages, I get to go and share my truth. I I love everything. It's like, but I had clarity. Melanie, I wrote all this down. Like I'm telling you right now, like this is not just by happenstance that my life is what it is today. I wrote it down and I move towards it every single day. And so where I'm at now, I promise you is not where I want to be. In fact, I would argue where I'm at right now is actually step one. I mean, I'm almost eight years into doing this, seven, eight years into doing this, and I'm still nowhere close, right? And so it's it's so cliche. People are like, it's the journey, not the destination. It's like, It is, right? It really is about can you just show up and move towards the thing that you want to go and create every day in relationships and sex and joy and love and compassion, but also understand like you are human. Like I'm an asshole sometimes. Like I suck sometimes. Like I am just a human being like every other human being navigating this world and trying to figure it out. 
but I, I can promise you my life is vastly different than it was 13 years ago, and yours can be too if you're willing to step up to the plate. That is a perfect place to wrap. I love that. Thank you for for sharing all of that. I feel inspired and uplifted and enriched. It's my honor.